So before introducing myself, which was already done, uh, let me introduce you to Adam and Pete, uh, two old friends, you know them already, uh, who uh, have an appointment to resolve some minor differences between the two of them. Um, well, upon meeting, uh, Pete's uh, uh, offhand comments uh, make Adam uh, raise his voice in progressively sharper replies, which make Pete, in turn, uh, lose his temper, which makes uh, Adam walk away in anger. I, I think I'm probably not. Okay, give me a sign. Um, uh, at home, Adam realizes that uh, Pete's uh, accumulated grievances about the minor difference they had to, to solve in their meeting uh, must have uh, accumulated in the past weeks. And uh, he thinks Pete is a bit of a coward instead of uh, coming out with these grievances. Uh, th these grievances just were what gave uh, Pete's offhand comments the hurtful edge to which he responded. And Pete is really angry with this uh, suspicious reading. He thinks uh, Adam is being over, overly sensitive and has his own motives in seeking to end the friendship ship. Uh, so, in any case, um, both uh, resent uh, one another and blame one another for uh, the uh, attitude they brought with uh, them to their meeting. And of course, in the background, uh, there's the family Adam started and Pete always wanted to have and the great job that Pete has and uh, Adam always wanted and somewhere in the far past of course also the girl both of them liked but only one of them got. This is I think just like real life kind of conflicts look like and also these sentiments, uh, real life uh, uh, reactive attitudes. Uh, glad that Andy took uh, some time to introduce you to these reactive uh, attitudes and sentiments already. So this paper, <laughs> if you believe it or not, it's going to be about science responsibility and the traffic participation view on human agency. I was already introduced, so I'll skip that, uh, except for saying that I also uh, work at the University of Leiden for one, way, uh, day, one day a week. Uh, so, some of you might have recognized this uh, little incident, uh, in this little incident I described. Uh, an incident uh, also told by uh, Peter Fellman, uh, David Fellman, yeah, Pete. <laughs> David Fellman in this brilliantly uh, uh, titled essay, What Happens When Someone uh, Acts. Uh, in his version of the story, uh, he comes home and realizes that uh, he got into a fight with his friend and that it was not he himself who started the fight, but it was his resentment that causes the fight. And he uses this incident, actually, to uh, look for a, for a way to get uh, the agent into the story about agency. It's his dissatisfaction with the traditional Davidsonian uh, uh, story about human action that uh, sets him off. So he wants to make a distinction between certain sentiments uh, causing, uh, uh, causing uh, fights or cases in which you yourself start a fight or you yourself break off a friendship. Um, like many other uh, philosophers, I think, uh, what David Fellman is interested in, and many of us are, is uh, a certain agential authority that, makes, uh, that enables <coughs> us to uh, really uh, pitch the agent in the right role in our actions, 
what is it what makes us act? Sometimes makes it the case that we are really the ones who act uh, instead of things that happen in us, or sentiments that uh, arise in us. So I took this intrapersonal conflict or intrapersonal happening in the Veneman uh, case and made it into an interpersonal conflict between Pete and Adam. But actually, uh, also with these two, what's not at stake is a disagreement about uh, values. And there's not a dis disagreement about how to evaluate uh, coward, uh, cowardice or uh, how, how, how to evaluate friendship or what, what, what you are supposed to do as friends. Nor is it a disagreement about what kind of conditions uh, excuse one of not living up to those expectations. So, uh, Adam or Pete? No. Is tired. Uh, it's not the case that uh, uh, Adam uh, thinks that, you, that that tiredness is not a, uh, not a reason not to lose your temper or anything. So it's not that they disagree about the blameworthiness conditions. What is at stake between the two of them is what exactly was done for what reasons. So they each describe what the other did in a different vocabulary. They have they say that the considerations on which. The, uh, each of them acted. Uh, they have their own, and, and the, the other one doesn't recognize the considerations ascribed to himself by the other. And both of them feel that the blame and resentment upon this incident is justified, even though they might uh, admit, perhaps, uh, that the other person doesn't uh, intentionally uh, was out to break off the friendship. Might also they might also resent. Uh, the other for not seeing what, what, what happened, what was the case, and that it was the fact that jealousy, for example, was involved in being uh, not all too kind or not too uh, attentive to uh, resolving and intent on resolving the minor differences. Um, so, uh, this uh, blame and resentment, this, this feeling that your blame and resentment with regard to other people. Uh, is justified even though they didn't intend to do what you uh, uh, reproach them uh, of doing. Uh, and the feeling that uh, um, they should have uh, acted differently, or they should have been a different person, uh, this is what I call um, uh, ascriptions of moral responsibility. So uh, why, what does this story have to do with anything? related and remotely to uh, cognitive science uh, and its normative significance, which is the subject matter for which we are here. So what I'm going to argue is that public and, uh, the public and scientific response to the findings in cognitive science, about which I will say a bit more in a, in a minute, uh, discloses an unsophisticated view, unsophisticated view on human agency. That's the main thing. Uh, and w with this public and scientific response, I mean, and I don't know how it is here in England, but I'm pretty sure in the States, but in the Netherlands, uh, there is a, a huge public debate about the existence of free will, actually. There are neuroscientists and cognitive scientists who uh, get into the papers with their denials of, they now rediscovered really that philosophers are completely have been on the wrong track for ages and ages and free will doesn't exist. They just discovered it, yeah. no? So, and actually, so I'm, you, I was a bit, uh, uh, I thought it was funny at first, but it keeps on, go keeps on going. It's for two years now, and really uh, it's not, 
so it used to be when you gave a talk about free will and moral responsibility, you were, you, were, you were very happy if five people were in the audience and <laughs> some of them were not lost. And today, it is if you lecture on free will, there are 200 people in, in the, and they really care, no? they're really worried. And, and, uh, so what's happening there? Now, of course, there's lots of philosophers who've pointed out that the use of these scientists, uh, some of uh, the popular scientists, also lots of scientists who've, who've pointed out that the use of free will is not very uh, sophisticated for the use of the, uh, the concept of moral responsibility. They even themselves rarely go as far as to deny, or to, to say that we should uh, abandon the concept of moral responsibility. Though in the Netherlands there are actually neuro neuroscientists who got the uh, government as far as to change certain uh, accountability laws because of certain neuroscientific insights. So I think this is really something to be taken seriously. And also another thing that in, in the wake of this, or that plays a big role, is that the whole idea that we are reasons responsive beings, as philosophers call this, that we should abandon this, that, that all this uh, exchange of reasons that we do in everyday life, just, it's, it's blah, 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 it's confabulation after the fact, nothing to do with the reasons for which the considerations on which we act. So um, I think it's important uh, not only to counter this uh, unsophisticated use of the concepts of moral responsibility and free will, and with it, this I mean uh, disregarding all the philosophical discussions that is, uh, that, uh, about that have been going around for, about these uh, concepts for ages, uh, but also to articulate uh, the broader picture on human agency that's behind this uh, unrest, I think. Uh, so the broader picture in how, how free will, concepts like free will, responsibility, and the exchange of reasons uh, hang together. And for that, we, we need to articulate traffic participation view on human agency, which is basically um, shows that, our, that, that there are two modes of acting. Uh, and for both these modes, responsibility, free will, and uh, the exchange of reasons, have a slightly different meaning. I think it's important that we uh, make this clear. Uh, okay, and in this traffic participation view, I think uh, the I think it's fair to say that uh, philosophers have attended to one of uh, these uh, modes of agency mostly, uh, and that's not the one for which the minimal agential authority that I draw attention to with this little anecdote on Pete and Adam uh, plays uh, an important role. So that's what I want to uh, explain. And once we uh, do this, I think, uh, we are able pretty easily to, sh to explain and understand and affirm with what many people think is the case uh, that uh, recent uh, decades uh, cognitive science have uh, brought to us fascinating in insights into the causes and origins and mechanisms of human agency and of human moral agencies too and also of the normative significance of these findings. So, uh, well, I hope that, that telling this story stops the, the nonsensical uh, uh, attacks on the concept of free will as such and the idea that we are morally responsible beings or moral beings at all. Uh, and that when we exchange reasons, at least sometimes, we. Uh, are able to track the true considerations on which we act. So uh, I, I suppose that, that uh, this has gone dark. No, I have a timer, but it's gone dark. 
Uh, I suppose that most of you are pretty familiar with, uh, the, so that's why you are here, with uh, certain developments in cognitive science that have raised such an interest. So I mentioned a few there. This is uh, wide uh, research in uh, um, cognitive science what did, that shows that we are vulnerable to all kinds of cognitive biases and that we, we can be easily framed to make decisions or choices or judgments uh, that actually produce in that specific instance a suboptimal result. It's not an irrational result, but a suboptimal result. So result. I, I think we can agree on that one. Uh, on top of that, in the moral domain, we have moral psychologists like Jonathan Haidt who show that our moral judgments, and so even if we are in a laboratory uh, setting and have to judge on a case, a moral case, a description of certain actions, uh, that those judgments are uh, susceptible to uh, more irrelevant uh, factors like whether the de desk is <coughs> dirty or not. That if, this, if it's dirty, it makes our uh, judgments stricter. Uh, in general, more in general, uh, um, gut reactions of disgust uh, influence uh, our moral judgments, ha have an influence on our moral judgment. Uh, also, judgments on intentionality, experiment, uh, experimental philosophy I brought to our attention, um, seem to, what did I say, judgment of intentionality, yeah, okay. So, uh, our uh, moral evaluation of the outcome of certain trains of actions, yeah? if you keep the train of action exactly the same, is the outcome a morally bad one, we will judge the agent to affect it intentionally, whereas if the outcome is not as bad, we will, will not. So we, uh, even in those judgments of intentionality, we are pretty vulnerable to uh, the moral, uh, to moral uh, evaluation, moral evaluation. Um, okay, well, if it's also the case that our moral judgments are vulnerable to uh, uh, manipulations that uh, illicit uh, discussed, our intentionality uh, judgments in certain areas, for example, in, uh, in law, uh, this is, of course, uh, bad. Um, so what should we take, uh, I think, uh, what should we take from uh, all this uh, research? Oh, I wanted to mention also the neuroscientific research, which I find very fascinating, that uh, the, what, what, what happened, seems to be the case that on the basis of brains and behavioral economics, uh, uh, what, what seems to be the case is that on the basis of brain scans, uh, scientists are better able to predict uh, what we will do in the future uh, than we uh, ourselves uh, are, uh, or than they are on the basis of self-reports on, before, uh, uh, for example, uh, things we, uh, we say we desire or say we will intend on doing, like using certain, uh, using um, some some cream. Uh, in a week, or uh, giving up smoking, or uh, calling a certain program to give up smoking. Um, so that is fascinating, I think. Um, so uh, th three things I think we should take in general from uh, all this research, and one of it is uh, that we are thoroughly situated uh, human beings. So uh, we are all our cognitive and moral functionings is much more than we thought beforehand, at least some of us thought beforehand, uh, uh, influenced by uh, the social setting and the physical setting we are in. And we are much conform very conform conformist uh, uh, creatures. So of course this is not new, it's not something that philosophers haven't thought of at all. 
uh, but the extent to which and the mechanisms by which this functions is an, uh, now actually being, uh, I think, uh, there's a lot uh, about that being discovered. And maybe uh, one of some time left, I will talk about that uh, at the end of the talk. Um, also, one of the things we can take uh, home from this development uh, developments is that we thoroughly embodied beings also not in the philosophical sense a very new or exciting uh, insight of course many philosophers have thought about this but the way in which and again the mechanisms in which this functions is really fascinating for example the enormous uh, influence of disgust is thing uh, is i think something that uh, we should be and already is being reflected upon by ethicists and moral philosophers um, so we are thoroughly embodied being, and those, and those, uh, those two, two of those, sorry, those the fact that we are embodied and situated also uh, together make up or go go hand in hand with the fact that uh, uh, we uh, there is no, I don't want to say there is no central boredom, but our actions are not direct directed from this central boredom. We are not consciously uh, controlling our actions. Uh, on the basis of uh, deliberative, what I call deliberative awareness, on the basis of reasons that we have reflected upon prior to action. That's, uh, I think, the safest way uh, to put it. Uh, and we're not aware of that being the case, which is, the, I think, the most important insight that has been brought, really brought home by uh, all these development, uh, developments uh, together. Uh, that is to say, if you ask us why we act as we do, we give reasons, we provide reasons, reasons that somehow relate to the considerations that we would reflect upon or would have reflected on, upon prior to acting, even though we didn't. No? So uh, we are very prone to confabulation. Or, or, and, and, and you can also say we, we are just rationalizing creatures, which make, makes it sound much less worse, no? It's something also that we already knew, and that no one, uh, if, if you think about it, it shouldn't surprise us. We all know of one another, at least, that sometimes the stories we tell just uh, don't add up and miss what's actually happening. Take again, Peter. And Adam, this is, I think, a very everyday experience that people sometimes t uh, just tell you a story. Uh, but the uh, uh, amount to which we do this, and also uh, the uh, the uh, degree in which we fail to identify certain considerations in very particular uh, situations in which the scientists have put us uh, just in, in order to make us uh, make the wrong decision or uh, uh, make a, a judgment that is uh, that goes awry uh, or doesn't uh, doesn't live up to the standards that we normally apply to it uh, is uh, I think interesting uh, to say the least. Um, so, uh, what philosophical message, I think, uh, can we take uh, home from, uh, from all this research? Now, the first, uh, uh, first one is that uh, free will, uh, the concept of free, free will, uh, of free will, should not be, um, should not be uh, taught to, uh, along the lines of us, uh, steering our actions uh, in accordance with prior deliberation, so of us producing our actions from a central uh, boardroom. I think that's. Uh, I, th I think that that we should abandon. abandon sorry. 
Uh, and also the idea that responsibility, uh, the descriptions of responsibility, should focus on uh, the uh, contribution of uh, the individual agent. So I think we should much more attend to uh, uh, morality as a collective phenomenon and uh, the influences that work on individual agency um, in, in situations, the situational influences and uh, social influences on individual agency. Not, of course, we should not take only uh, the message that it is now beyond doubt proven that we do not uh, uh, act at all and uh, are therefore cannot be held morally responsible for our actions or some other sort of story. Uh, and that the reasons that we, um, so what we should take home is think that the reasons that we exchange with one another are uh, sometimes uh, miss. Uh, the actual considerations on which we act and that the extent to which they miss uh, is much uh, uh, larger uh, than we thought. We say this much larger, uh, deviate much more often than we thought from, uh, that from uh, before. Uh, and that's to say that uh, the fact that we are reason responsive beings in the sense that we can articulate for what reasons we act is not the same as the fact that we are agents who uh, can act on the basis of our own considerations. So free will and our ability to uh, justify legitimate uh, our actions, that th these two should come apart, I think. Um, um, the idea that these three somehow show that the, uh, that the fact that we have, uh, have no steering control, that we do not consciously control our actions as often as we thought, or sometimes not, so to say, uh, that, uh, uh, that that shows that we are not morally responsible beings or somehow complicates or problematizes uh, moral responsibility ascriptions um, as well as uh, the worth of the fact that we exchange reasons on an everyday basis all the time. Uh, uh, that, that idea, and that, that's the wrong or unsophisticated picture of human agency that lies beneath this, is the idea that Always there is first reasons on which we deliberate and on the basis uh, of these reasons uh, we uh, make a choice uh, or we judge something and uh, after that there is the action. Uh, and only in the case that the choice is free uh, in one sense or the other and the judgment is rational in one sense or the other can we be responsible for the uh, resulting uh, uh, action. Only if, if you have such a very simple-minded picture in uh, mind, you can think that all the influences that are shown by scientists to work on our behavior in an everyday uh, setting uh, actually undermines the idea of free will and moral responsibility. So that's, I don't think this, this is very new or shocking to you. Uh, I just think this is, the, this, is, this is why people think that free will and moral responsibility uh, are threatened. Uh, by uh, showing that there are all kinds of, of influences working on our behavior that we are not aware of. Um, so, how to tell this, the story, uh, or what, what to take uh, uh, from this picture into the traffic participation view, which is just a more sophisticated view on human agency, is uh, first to say, uh, well, whatever free will is between brackets also, uh, what we should uh, admit to one another that we are centers of agency, you know? So we participate uh, with one another and the others, uh, and we are sometimes active in some sense, like in the Adam and Pete sense. You know? There's some activity going on, and it's not something to do with aware or intentionally hurting something, but 
uh, you are supposed to act in certain manners in a uh, certain context. So there's the centers of agency, that's safe to say, uh, and when they are uh, absent, well, will uh, 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 the moral sentiments uh, and reactive attitudes will not uh, uh, be, uh, we're not susceptible to them with regard to people who are not active in that sense. What we should also take from it is that we're agentially intransparent beings. So even though we might know ourselves, this knowledge is not based on our ability to uh, look inside and trace exactly on which considerations we acted or even the mechanisms that were involved in our, um, in our uh, judgments or choices. So we're agentially intransparent beings. And as I said, what I, I think is very important insight to take with, with us is that morality is uh, much more a collective enterprise than we might previously uh, have admitted. How am I doing all the time? Sorry, it's black. We have 15 minutes left. Okay, thanks. Uh, so, uh, let me then now turn to what is this traffic participation view on human agency. Um, it's actually, it's uh, just admitting that most of the time we act, uh, uh, we interact li uh, very much like Pete and Adam interact with one another. <laughs> we muddle through, no? not knowing exactly why and for what reasons and uh, uh, what mo what's the motivational orig uh, origin of our feelings or our actions or whatever. No? It's just some messy, messy uh, stuff going on. Um, and we are also morally evaluated. No, there are many things that we do uh, without uh, effort, and also without ever attending to doing it consciously. Like being a kind, kind person, attentive mother, a good philosopher, a, a consensus uh, agent. Uh, well, mind you, uh, some of the, these things from this list, some of us will have to attend to to be. No. Some of us have to, uh, might have to invest energy to be, actually be a good mother. Uh, and, uh, but, but the point is, many of the things that we do, we don't have to attend to. And nevertheless, what we actually do uh, is conferred uh, um, uh, meaning on because of uh, these things we do automatically and without actually being aware of. Being a friendly person, for example, is something uh, that might... Uh, we never do something because we want to be friendly. We might just be, this might be a very deeply ingrained motive of our actions. And it might also be the case, and that's uh, where the distinction between post-press and pre-press uh, will come out, uh, that we uh, um, uh, discover who we are, what we are, what kind of person we are, because other people um, uh, tell us or ask us why we do something, why we do the things we do and why we do the do it as we do. No? Uh, so, uh, in the case of Pete and, Pete and Adam, uh, Pete might actually discover, uh, uh, discover uh, after the conflict with uh, Adam that uh, he values Adam's friendship, or friendship in general, much more than he thought. He might really go and miss his friend, and this might uh, turn his attention inwards. 
and think, well, maybe he had a point. Maybe there's, uh, there was something wrong with my behavior or another. To tell another ver variant of this story, he might come uh, into two more conflicts shortly after, and he discovers that there's something in his behavior, behavior changed since he started his family that made his attitude towards his friends differently or make the friends react differently to him. At least, uh, and big. Uh, because of reflecting on these issues, he might uh, learn something about himself, and he might, if he is, uh, he might even uh, 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 come uh, come to some insight uh, insights about his um, uh, about his 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 motives and the considerations that make him act uh, as he acts. Uh, as he acts, and sometimes, it, uh, well, it takes some of us years of therapy even <laughs> to uh, discover what it is that makes us act in quite the ways we act. No, that doesn't. That shouldn't confuse you, uh, by the way, in uh, about uh, the uh, this this picture. It's not that the, the motives are so deeply hidden. It's just that we are, well, we go along all the time with one another. There's often. Uh, very little need, especially if you're well raised and if you're a very good confabulator, uh, to really confront yourselves about your own motives and the reasons for your actions. Uh, in any case, the point is, uh, in the post-Christ mode of agency and the pre-Christ mode of agency, and uh, pre-Christ mode of agency, I think that's the that's uh, I think that uh, it might be the case that that's much more uh, the model on which we should think. Uh, about our own actions and the uh, post press but it's not that there's only one of those that applies no of course sometimes it happens when you get for example into a real crash uh, with the car I mean you have to uh, 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 be aware of the moves you make you will be uncertain uh, when dri upon driving a car the next time and probably you if if uh, Stop now about the metaphor, but <laughs> we do come into questions. Though we do come into conflicts, and this makes this can make us change our behavior. And for this, we need attention. And in those cases, when someone asks us uh, why we did what we did, we will be able to provide an answer. Pete will be able to say to Adam, uh, "Well, uh, I." Know, this is a stupid example. I slept well because I know I meet you and you are a sensitive guy, so uh, I'm uh, not making offhand comments on, uh, uh, in response to your serious uh, conversation making or something like that. No. So uh, uh, we, ha we have more, uh, more things to say about the reasons, and they might include introspective reports, reports about considerations upon which we acted. Uh, in the other case, though, uh, often when we give reasons for our actions, uh, they, they are just reconstructions, and we, uh, might might be uh, might make sense for us to realize this much more, in much more uh, degree than we do. That we do not report, we do not verbally report on considerations that run through our heads, for, uh, but we reconstruct it most of the time based based on the situations we are in and the kind of things we say about ourselves. Um, and uh, with regard to responsibility. Uh, also, the function of responsibility descriptions is quite different in, in both cases. If we do this in the postcard, if we do this with regard to postcard agency, what you do is you invite the other to discuss the values, evaluations, or blame conditions of a certain situation. So, upon thinking, uh, Pete and Adam, upon thinking that their actions were actually intentionally, their uh, questions with regard to why, why, 
why did you make all these offhand comments all the time, uh, is actually uh, a question about who you think that's the right way to do it. Do you think that it's nice to act in that, in that manner? Or who you think uh, that, uh, so if you say I'm tired to actually explicating, uh, no, I don't think that's a, a right way to act uh, in a serious conversation. But I was just feeling tired. Or you're giving an excuse, and you're hoping this this excuse in these situations is being accepted. However, in, in a pre-crash uh, model of agency, um, see, uh, telling, uh, resenting someone, blaming someone for the offhand comments, is actually interrupt, uh, interrupting these uh, interactions uh, and 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 forcing someone to think and reflect uh, on why uh, you did what you do. And also to put marks on the road ma uh, maps on how uh, you are expected uh, to act, what you expect from one another. Uh, obviously, if it's the case that cognitive science uh, shows that we are, as it is often called, uh, adaptive uh, unconscious beings, most of the time who act in an unreflective uh, matter, uh, matter uh, uh, in an unreflective and automatic manner, then uh, ascribing responsibility becomes even more important. And moreover, one could even say uh, that this, uh, 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 what what it shows, that it, uh, that we might uh, control. Uh, there are hidden sources of control uh, that we didn't discover before. So we might, it's more, it's more reasonable to expand actually our descriptions of responsibility if it's the case that we are often uh, act in an unconscious and automatic fashion rather than the other way around, that we should somehow abandon or, or diminish uh, the uh, actions for which we hold one another morally responsible uh, or the actions for which, that of which we think that they were somehow controlled uh, by uh, the agents. And most of all, uh, um, these, uh, to remain in the, in, the, in the metaphor of the talk, uh, these moral sentiments, uh, the reactions to one another with blame and, and uh, resentment, uh, are sort of warnings to keep our eyes on the road uh, and not uh, uh, make any, uh, uh, or to prevent uh, any uh, real life accidents. From, uh, from happening. So, to uh, close on a, a, a less cryptic note, uh, the traffic participation view of human agency, so making, uh, distinguishing these two kinds of uh, ways in which we act, uh, and explicating a minimal condition of agential, uh, agential uh, authority, uh, enables us to, um, to uh, give room uh, to the uh, insights, of the fascinating insights of uh, cognitive uh, science. Within such a picture, the findings of cognitive science can be understood as explaining agency, of showing how it is we are able to act in the ways uh, we did. Sometimes we might discover that what we took as clear signs of self-control uh, are actually side effects of, mere, mere, uh, of more inaccessible forms. Of control. This is an Iowa gambling uh, uh, example that Philip Pettit mentions in one of his uh, papers on uh, uh, neuroscientific implications for thinking about free will. Uh, is uh, the example of the sus suspicion that arises in a gambling game, uh, gambling game with regard to a card, a deck of cards. Remember that uh, when you put up, uh, um, yeah, I forgot the word. 
Sorry? Yeah, you, you, you can, uh, you, you can uh, uh, the response is already visible uh, way before you uh, realize that you, uh, that you have identified one of the deck of cards as the dangerous one. Uh, what uh, cognitive science has shown in this case is that it's not our awareness that the deck of cards is bad luck that makes us stop taking the cards, no? Rather, the suspicion we become aware of is a materialization of our resistance to take cards from that deck. In the words of the traffic participation view, there is interaction, and there is interaction based on all kinds of considerations, and there is awareness of our reasons and our deliberations, that these come apart. You know? uh, sometimes we don't know exactly why it is, uh, what makes us act in the ways we do. And what we discover is that uh, the mechanism that grounds us uh, might be the, uh, uh, that, that our bodies tell us what to do in certain situations before we know, we are aware that a certain deck of cards is actually the one that we shouldn't take cards of anymore. So, uh, this picture, such a picture allows us uh, to accept the fact that we do not know ourselves as well as we did, uh, and, uh, and especially not in the way we thought we knew ourselves. Um, and uh, well, I was some, I wanted to tell you something about some the experiments in moral psychology that we could, uh, in this way, also make room for uh, the findings in uh, uh, moral psychology uh, for telling us which of our reconstructions in everyday life are actually more true what's actually happening uh, in the moral domain, domain uh, than uh, what we thought was happening uh, in our own reconstructions in our everyday uh, life. Uh, with regard to it. So. Thank you. So, questions? Yeah, Alex. Thank you for the, the talk. Um, this is really a question of clarification. What is the minimal notion of tangential authority that you think we learn from this view? What are the conditions for being agent? Almost none. You are an agent in, in, in participating in social interaction. You're the center of agency. That is where it starts. And as soon as you are a center of agency, you are vulnerable to uh, the reactive attitudes of your people with, with, with whom you interact. And only afterwards, we, we have all these corrective mechanisms like, oh, this is a child, we should withhold these sentiments because so but first of all this so is can you explain this to me with regards to the quote about the when you say it wasn't me, it was my resentment talking. That seems to say that seems to be employing more demanding notion of potential mm -hmm. right? Uh, where um, somehow maybe there's a notion of endorsement of the reasons for which I'm acting or even uh, being cognitively aware. One of those two maybe both um, so, I thought that you, you said you wanted to, so I, I, I may have misunderstood, I thought you were uh, saying that that was a view that you wanted to explicate, but rather you think a completely different view, right? Yeah. So in your view, it's a mistake, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, in your view it's a mistake, what Willemann wrote there. Um, uh, no, it's not a mistake, yes. he's just interested in a, in a different thing, so what Willemann was, and many, I think many philosophers, we are, what we're interested in 
is maximum agential authority in some sense. Or, or agential authority, so what makes uh, the agent present in her action. So we think that there is something like an agent being present <coughs> in her action, but actually I think when we resent one another in, in everyday uh, life, often, uh, maybe, that's, so it's a bit unclear. What we, what we do is we resent some, someone, we feel resentful toward that other person, and then we read intentions into the behavior. But actually, it's enough when someone is an agent to have these uh, sentiments. So it's only if someone clearly plays no role as an agent in the interaction that there are no, no sentiments that were, that were not susceptible to having any of the uh, reactive sentiments, moral sentiments, to the other persons. So it's not, uh, so I just wanted to say, uh, you can also, you, you should explicate this minimal uh, condition of agential authority and realize that when we interact with one another, we also resent one another for actions that are not even, we're not, that other people are not even aware of doing them for certain reasons, like in the Pete and Adam case. They have a completely different story about what the other did. And it might be the case that they think, so they translate these reproaches in terms of, uh, well, uh, he always was someone who uh, did not uh, did attend more to his own feelings than uh, what he considered mine. Uh, but actually, you do not, you do not uh, think that he uh, deliberately tried to hurt you with, by making comments on that you, you took up offense at this, this, this way of developing. So you're saying our everyday practices of development are quite much less demanding of yes. what is most particular. At least, no, there, there are two. There are two parts. I think we do. If we sit down, sometimes we uh, discuss with one another that what you did, so so that both of it are present. But our immediate reactions, I think, they serve a function, and we shouldn't uh, abandon uh, abandon them. Okay. Yes. Um, so um, you also mentioned that there's evidence in Is there a distinction on the traffic participation view when you have two agents and they both commit an objectionable action? But say that the first agent comes from a background where, say, they are much more likely to commit, say, assaults, perhaps there's a history of abuse in their family, that sort of thing. And then you have a second agent who is brought up from, say, in a sort of morally idolised circumstances. They know this is wrong, but yet they still commit an assault. Is, is there a distinction there? I mean, there's, there's no central board room. How do we account for, uh, is, I mean, is there a distinction? Is one more responsible, or do you say actually no? There's no, there's no normative theory yet. It's only, the con con uh, cons uh, it's only the observation that there's this distinction. And I do think we have these, we make these uh, intuitive uh, judgments that someone from a certain background who wouldn't know better, you know? Mm -hmm. It's less to blame than the person who could have known better or has ample reason. So, but uh, there's no, there's no obvious normative theory attached to this one. Can I hear more, please? Yeah. Uh, do you think that low empathy, psychopaths, or ventromedia complex patients are more objective? So in the minimal, a minimal. Yeah, I mean, 
pre-crash agency oh, sense of the oh. word, everyone is a is a is a, an agent that's susceptible to moral sentiments. If that's the question that you want to ask. ask. Yeah, but they do not feel. I mean, at least in some cases, the science is well controversial, but the way the psychopaths have a very limited set of moral sentiments, or whether you define moral sentiments. So, in what sense would they be moral agents? I mean, can, can they participate? They can be the impolite, can they not? In the trafficking. Sorry, you, you. I can. I don't see how they can participate in the trafficking. Yeah. But they do all the time. There are, there are lots of people who have a low empathy uh, uh, and, and, and who interact with, uh, with us. Yeah, you might be yeah, even one of them of without knowing. Way, sort of one-way interactions. <laughs> why, why do you think there's a one-way interaction? Because they, they don't have their own moral sentiments. I, I'm not sure whether that's the case, by the way. Whether they don't have... Uh, well, suppose it is the case. Suppose they, they don't have moral sentiments. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think if you is if you discover, I think this is how it works. So you discover that you have a child, for example, that does not respond to your anger reactions or to your resenting reactions or to your blaming reactions, and then you stop having these symptoms. That's pretty difficult, I think, to try and uh, have other ways to uh, reach that person. No, I don't know if that's a satisfying answer to you. So when we start out with, even with children, I think, I think everyone who has ever lived with people who, from which they, they know, uh, so they, this person is depressed, or this person has a personality disorder, you know this, no? so you can correct yourself, but you have to correct yourself, because the responses are there all the time. Someone is, uh, acts in a certain manner with regard to you. So that's just the immediate, I think, inescapability of the reactive attitudes that Strawson pointed out already. You can follow up again. So you don't think that after you have adapted to the non-empathic person, the trafficking stops at all? Uh, I think, we, yeah, in a certain sense, we try. So it's the end of the moral relationship. Of the no, I don't think that at all. I, d I don't think. I, I think if you if you go and talk with people who work with people who uh, are diagnosed diagnosed as mentally uh, ill, that it's uh, that easy to have to stop having these moral reactions. But still, but but I, I agree with you. So there's not you. Of course, when you know that. But you, you, you are able to adjust your attitude with regard to what you know about the other person. Anthony, you had a yeah. follow-up? I, I, I actually had the same follow-up earlier. But <laughs> it doesn't matter. So, the way that you're talking about it is, is that someone is, uh, has this kind of minimal agency uh, if others then facto adopt attitude structure sentence towards them. But surely the question is whether they are right to do so, whether they're entitled or correct to adopt those. That is those a question, yes. Yeah, so uh, it's not sufficient that, you know, maybe you find it very hard not to resent someone, even though you know that they've had a hard time. Or so, but, but isn't the question 
Yeah. Are you correct in resenting them? If, if, you're, if, the, if it's a mistake to resent them, then they're not responsible. The, I, I agree with you. That is a question. <laughs> And it's a big question, no? but I think uh, it's not the case, so we don't have these answers, no? we are discussing these answers, but we start somewhere. <coughs> so if someone is uh, clearly not agentially active, we don't have these, these responses. That's, that's the bare minimum in which, uh, which the whole presenting game starts. That's, but the mere fact that the game goes on doesn't mean that they are... You know, we may be, we're no, making true. a mistake no, in playing again. That, that's, no, that's, that's true. That's, I'm, I completely agree with you there. So I, I, I think we, make, we have make, made very often uh, mistakes, and we're still making them, by the way. I witness those all the time, you know, uh, people who are clearly unable. Well, no. Hey, Ms. So I'm, I, I'm not having a, I'm not, I'm not uh, saying we should uh, Hold everyone responsible. Uh, uh, it's a lot of things sounding like that, so that's why. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Um, I was wondering just about the role of crashes. Are they the very fact that you label the human agency use pre crash and post crash seems to suggest that the crash is somehow essential or necessary? Yes. So at least post crash agency. Yeah. Might you not crash? You might crash on your own. Yeah, I'm not sure. So uh, yeah, I think I think there are many ways of crashing. You don't know, no, but I think uh, it helps. Other people help. So the, uh, that's one of the things I think we shouldn't, on the basis of these uh, insights from cognitive science, decide to diminish our ascriptions of moral responsibility to one another. Rather, the other other thing is more legitimate. Uh, but these are. This is again. This is this. Low uh, profile way of uh, ascribing uh, responsibility of one another. It's not thinking that it's uh, you're justified in uh, holding. Right. So I even I think that 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 we could uh, lessen those on the basis of the insights from cognitive science. So part of the neuroscientists' uh, 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 project, I think, is trying to lessen uh, personal responsibility ascription to, for example, criminals or uh, people who, yeah. Can I ask, what what um, makes a crash? What, what is characteristic for a crash? It's not the interaction with other human beings. It, it, might be, uh, uh, it might be everything that makes you uh, um, unable to continue in the ways that you did before. It might even be just your having some thoughts or revelations or whatever. Whatever makes you think about what what makes you act in the way you should act. It seems like I'm comparing your research or moral psychology. Why? I don't know, sir. I think it's just a certain amount of challenge. Like, that would be a clash. So, it's really a challenge. I think philosophers are, 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 are of the crashing kind. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they are so uh, little in touch with the pre-crashing kind. Oh, sorry. I thought there was a follow-up down there, but no. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so just the back and forth about um, whether prefrontal patients or other patients 
have rights and responsibility, but also patients who have the relevant experience to make them, I don't know, relevant for moral considerations. And I was wondering whether there's any space in your account for not just considerations of agency, but also experience or patiency, that component of what makes a person worth moral consideration. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. So just to give you an example, yeah. an agent might be you know, a, a fully formed human adult um, who has both agency and experience, so rights and responsibility, and a baby might be um, an entity that has a lot of experience, but not very much agency. Some people conceptualize God as someone who has a lot of agency, but not very much experience and so on. So there are these orthogonal dimensions. Okay. Um, so, so again, this is not, there's no, there's no normativity implied by this, by this uh, view. It's just the observation that whenever we observe uh, human agents, we re react to them with the moral sentiments. And only after that we reflect on the justif justifying principles, the conditions on which this, this is legit legitimate and not. So that's also what I, uh, what I said to the earlier uh, uh, questions. So uh, what exactly uh, these uh, uh, conditions are, that's something, that's, that's a philosophical discussion which is very interesting, but it's not, but it, it's all, but it doesn't, shouldn't stop us from explicating that in everyday practice when we hold someone responsible, we are, we're just asking uh, for reasons, we're asking for the consideration, we, we are asking for a response, we are asking for the person to reflect on why she or he did what she or he did, and that starts whenever we observe agency. So that can be in a little child, and if you have a relation with God, that, that also, uh, in, uh, with respect to God, or, or in the whole spectrum of experience and agency, I would say. Agency is the main. I was just thinking maybe a, a sort of, instead of minimal agency perspective, a minimal experience perspective, what oh, okay. like why we have these spontaneous attitudes towards Agent, agents who may not have the relevant agentive experience. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that might be much easier uh, if you encounter them, actually, even in the God case, by the way. Okay, Gina. So I, I understand, uh, I think I understand your project as being in a Strasonian fashion. We're starting from our tendencies to. Um, Employ reactive attitudes and evaluations of others. We have, that's where we have to start when we want to think about moral responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to ask you about two, two it seems to me, two familiar patterns of assigning responsibility in this way. And I think the first one supports your view, but the second one I'm not really sure how you want to understand it. So the first one is how we want people responsible for, for forgetting things. You know, if I forget someone's birthday, if I forget an anniversary, people get mad at me. And it seems like a really canonical case of, of that act that matter not being accessible to my deliberative control. I didn't remember it, so I couldn't deliberate upon it, so I didn't do it. People still get mad at me. They still hold me responsible. That seems to suggest even on the unsophisticated folk view, we still hold people responsible for things that they're not in control of in a certain sense. But here's the second one. 
we also hold people responsible for their tendencies to be in control or not be in control. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if, if you're with a very close friend or a partner or someone and they seem to be not, you know, they're doing nothing wrong, they haven't crashed in the sense of um, done anything that directly offends you, but it's very clear to you they're kind of on autopilot. That in itself makes people angry. So you say, where are, where are you right now? Yeah, I can tell you're not really paying attention. You're on, you're doing automatically. I, I, I demand to know why you aren't with me right now and deliberately auto, um, consciously controlling your interaction with me. Mm -hmm. So on your model, why do people resent and get upset about other people's not being deliberative about their interaction with them? Uh, because it, they, wa oh, they want to interact with your other self, <laughs> your deliberate self, no? So you don't want someone driving your car not to be an automatic pilot, but you do want the person with, you, with your, whom you are having a beer and having a conversation uh, to be present there, his deliberative self, no? His thinking, reasoning self and not be off somewhere else. So uh, I don't I don't see why. So I'm not saying that we never uh, never resent people being on automatic pilot, not at all. Just uh, explicating that uh, automaticity is an important part of our life and exchanging reasons is too, but for different for different reasons. Yeah, follow. Yeah. Is there a way to respond to this in terms of the idea of negligence and good care? In other words. It's usually both these kinds of cases, uh, forgetting the birthday, or because the person isn't trying to forget the birthday. Mm -hmm. They aren't deliberately forgetting the birthday. So in that sense, it's not, it's not a, an output of their, of their deliberate control. But we do suppose, and we wouldn't regard ourselves as justified in getting angry at people if they forgot our birthday that they could have remembered the birthday. Uh, and so we think they're negligent in not doing it. And likewise, you know, uh, the person who's not paying attention, who's not present in the sense of paying attention, uh, we certainly think they could be paying attention. And, and not just that it could be the case that they, but they could make, they could make it true that they are paying attention. So I, Having an, to buy, by paying an effort, making an effort, yeah, as right. in the case of reminding a birthday, right. no? That seems to be the general category of torts, of, of negligence, of, you know, whether the person showed a reasonable degree of due care uh, is whether that might be a way to bring it within, within your friend. Yeah. With a really extreme example of this, there's recent work in psychology by Jeff Goodwin at Penn um, on folk intuitions about punishing animals for their behavior. And so you might think that sharks or dogs don't have the relevant agentive traits, and yet people tend Do. to either over attribute agency to yeah. these entities or their um, judgments are being elicited by some other features, like experience or. I often hate my computer. Yeah, exactly. Resent it even. Back over here. Yeah, just to know if you'd say a bit more about the difference between the successful and unsuccessful reconstructions, and in particular, unsuccessful reconstructions, as could be more truthful. And if so, 
question there was. <laughs> so uh, that's an invitation to say a bit more about the experience in, in moral psychology. So what happens, I think, also in moral psychology, and I, I'm, I'm very sorry that not a lot of it comes across, I think that is because also moral psychologists uh, tend to phrase their work in terms of, well, now we have shown that actually we are not moral creatures, but we are, for example, moral hypocrites. As a, uh, Experiment, series of experiments that Daniel Batson and his colleagues uh, performed, uh, which actually shows that explicated uh, behavioral standards have an effect on our behavior, and uh, not always the desired effect, though, because they make us fool ourselves about our own uh, motivational origin of our own uh, behavior and decisions. I think that, that kind of research to see what we do in experimental setups is actually very helpful. Uh, as a way of looking what we do in everyday life. So we have certain, we tell certain stories about our motivations, and I think we should compare those with what more psychologists find, find is motivating us, which is, uh, well, well, lots of things. <laughs> one of the things, uh, well, I thought about when Auntie was talking, so one of the things that helps us uh, not act in, uh, in uh, uh, self-interested ways uh, is uh, to think about uh, the other people, people's feelings. So altruism is a motivator to act in non-selfish ways, for example. Whereas uh, imagining yourself in the other person's shoes or perspective faking is not. So I think we tend to think that perspective faking is, uh, is uh, also effective in the moral domain. And I think moral psychology shows that it is not as effective uh, as we thought it was. So that's the, the, the sense in which we can uh, compare notes, we can see whether the things we tell ourselves are re reconstructed reasons for acting morally in certain uh, choice settings uh, by uh, seeing what science, scientific investigation has to tell us about these motivations. Yeah. I, I previously inserted myself into the traffic here. Um, <laughs> so, I guess um, I'm wondering if uh, the cognitive scientist who uh, is against free will and moral responsibility can reasonably complain that there's a moving target here. You said you were against an unsophisticated use of the concepts of free will and moral responsibility. Mm -hmm. And then you tell us several things about what cognitive science teaches these things aren't. Right? So there's no central boardroom, uh, which is the seat of agency and so on. And um, can it be reasonably complained, look, I was arguing against free will as you understood it. Now you just changed the, move the goalposts and, yeah. and change the targets yeah. and you're reconstructing something else. Yeah. But that's not the argument we were having. No, no. but I'm not out to, uh, to set them straight. I'm out to get the most out of them. <laughs> is that a stupid answer? No, I mean, I mean uh, they are, they are uh, uh, this is what happens in, in the Netherlands at least, is that you have those philosophers who uh, set them straight on their use of the concept and they said, well, we just defined the concept. That's what we're arguing against, okay? That's the end of the discussion. No, but there's something interesting to be had, I think, out of all, uh, 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 all of this. So it's uh, the broad picture, I think it's worth articulating uh, also to, to uh, get it across to uh, the unsophisticated use by certain scientists, because it's of course not all of them. So, but you're right, uh, I think what they are arguing for, and often in the Netherlands at least, they, pride, uh, they are quite precise in what they are arguing against. Mm -hmm. uh, only what, uh, th this is not what the general public hears, no? It hears free will, so it wonders about 
moral responsibility. Actually, by, by the way, the sign is more about moral responsibility too, on the basis of this uh, definition of free will. So then what you have to say, okay, uh, you defined uh, your target and you argued successfully against it, but you failed to notice that the relation that it has with moral responsibility, which is why we care about free will in the first place, is not the relation you think it has. Yeah, I'm not sure whether what I'm saying is an uh, attempt to reconstruct what you said or just something suggested by it, but let me run it by you anyway. It seems to me that some of the questions also suggest that people are actually very wedded to the view that what we've got to do here is decide what the sufficient degree of autonomy and self-control is required in order to say someone is, a, is an angel and therefore become responsible. And that what you're suggesting is, is really sort of like getting rid of that as one model completely. <laughs> down that road we're just going to find that yeah, you can't draw the line between the psychopath and the normal case, it's all a matter of degree. That you start with this idea that something is a, a centre of agency, as you put it, and that then really, rather than ask the question, you know, so how autonomous whatever does this have to be in order for us to contribute responsibility to it, it seems to be rather more of a pragmatic thing, that you, you look at something as a centre of agency and then you ask, well, based on then what we know about it, we, how do we then change, adjust our attitudes towards it in ways that are appropriate? And so in the sense, cat is a minimal centre of agency. Mm -hmm. You can do a few things to your cat to stop it behaving in a bad way. But you don't, you don't string it up and execute it if, if it sort of breaks the rule. Um, and then you go along with that in certain ways. And in a normal case, we find that uh, a normal person like yourself, to, to, to treat you as somebody who has the capacity on self-reflection to um, refrain from certain things that so that makes sense because you respond to that, you're that kind of um, sense of agency. So, so that seems to be, to me, what you're going to say. It just seems to be really interesting, but it just seems very, so different to this idea that people are to. We have to sort of like specify what the minimum uh, the degree of autonomy in order to consider someone to be an agent and draw the line between them and psychopaths and so forth. But, but people are struggling to, to get what you're proposing. Um. So yeah, for me that yes, <laughs> okay. So the post-agency. Uh, so the, the traffic participation view, as I just spoke, no, the post-crash and the pre-crash kind of agency, and the questions about autonomy and uh, responsibility that we are interested in as philosophers are in the often in the post-crash model. I think. So I'm not sure what you if, if what you're suggesting, but. To, uh, uh, if you go and explicate conditions, don't you? You're, you're again going to the post-crash model instead of just articulating that there is these two kinds modes of behaving. No? And then we respond in certain ways to agency, and that these responses are fruitful. And, and uh, but I think even in the uh, in the pre-crash case we have different uh, conditions. Uh, I think that's a uh, that's another paper. <laughs> but we so I do I do think that we uh, respond differently to centers of age. So we understand different things to uh, to belong to uh, the concept of centers of agency. And even people who uh, have quite high standards before they go and react response to anyone at all as an agent. So 
Okay, and the last question is uh, guys. Check your back again. To the, to the example you started with of Putin, yes, someone else. Yes, Adam. So, the lesson I, I thought we were supposed to get from it was that we have these reactive attitudes to each other, the various factors to which we don't, shouldn't at least assume that the other person is consciously deliberating. There might be jealous at some level, we don't think other people is actually thinking I'm jealous of him, I'm going to do so and so, but we still have this reactive attitude. Mm -hmm. And that's supposed to help us when we move cognitive science part of all these other factors that operate below conscious level. I'm not yet sure that it helps. So presumably there's a fact of the matter, so that is disagreement. The fact of the matter may be very complex about what reasons each one has for what they take. So from the way you describe it, the impression was that they're both right about the other person. Uh, no, but they both think uh, they're right. Yeah, it sounds the, the way you presented it. Uh, well, that is some good reason they're not aware of that lead them to behave in a certain way and leading to a conflict. Mm -hmm. And it's certainly possible that both are right about that complex set of factors that the other person is, uh, is driving the other person behavior while being quite bad at seeing what's driving their behavior. But all of the factors here are kind of false psychological factors. Mm -hmm. so jealous, or there was a woman in the past, or there was some competition. Suppose it turned out that you know we know that disgust makes people more punitive. Or we know that judges, when they haven't eaten enough, they give harsher sentences. And when you have lower serotonin level, you're more aggressive. Suppose these are the factors that really explain what's going on. There. So Pete was disgusted by something, you know, something he just so uh, Adam didn't eat. Uh, uh, Quite a while ago, uh, and that explains this explosive game between them. I mm -hmm. think that if they became aware of that, they would withdraw the reactive attitudes they had to each other. Um, once you move from this false psychological factor of jealousy and competition that may be tolerable to this behavior, even if they are <coughs> operating at a conscious level, and you move to this seemingly relevant factor, that's because you saw this disgusting uh, thing mm -hmm. on the floor a minute ago or because he ate yeah, yeah. an hour ago rather than half an hour ago. And it looks like then you'll withdraw these reactive attitudes. Mm -hmm. Now the question is how these factors, these psychologists are identified, how pervasive are in really explaining a different thing that happened to us and these crashes. But it seems that if it turns out that a lot of these crashes are really due to these low-level factors that we don't take to justify reactive attitudes. Somewhere that, that this is going to rely on the scope of reactive attitudes we are going to have to each other and limit or diminish the scope of moral responsibility actually ascribing actual content. We might be ascribing lots of moral responsibility to each other and breaking friendship when the actual factors are one that once we knew what they really were, we would withdraw those kind of response. Does that um, I'm not sure, but I think we always have to figure out how to get along with one another, whatever the underlying influences that work on our behavior. But I think you're partly right. I think we might discover one of the things that I like about uh, projects of the cognitive, oh, some of the neuroscientists and, uh, and uh, social psychologists, is indeed to show that there are influences that work on our behavior that are not uh, to be interpreted as intentional. Or 
controlled by uh, previous uh, deliberations. I find it difficult to imagine uh, a conflict like that between Pete and Adam solely due to, but well, one know, of so them actually claims, oh, I have slept too little, no, you, you read too much into this behavior. So I think that's also, those influences are already part of the human conversation about what we reproach one another for. Is this a quick follow-up? Yeah, so you could also think of the net negligence line that, you know, you, you shouldn't have been upset just because you saw something disgusting two minutes ago. Like, even if it turns out that that's what the influence was, I'm still holding responsible because yeah, you, you should have that level of control, I assume. That's surely what we are. <laughs> Well, yeah, having panicky behavior, behavior in traffic, for example, that's a good, so that's not something that you do on purpose, but still uh, your partner will uh, uh, resent you for keeping on doing this in, whilst he is in the car too, and enter children, for example. Uh, 